0: are you interested in free theological training our flagship sponsor midwestern seminary offers free theological training through their for the church institute this semester they launched three new classes new testament one and new testament two with dr patrick schreiner and missional leadership with dr charles smith both have been guests of the show These classes, along with others, they offer the story of everything with Jared Wilson, the Trinity with Dr. Matthew Barrett, and more are all free and accessible to you, your community group, or your church to complete at your own pace. You can learn more and sign up to begin at mbts.edu slash knowingfaith. Again, that's mbts.edu slash knowingfaith for some free theological training from Midwestern Seminary. Go check it out. You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of training the church. This is Kyle Worley and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English. How's it going, y'all? Good. I'm doing great. I'm doing wow.
1: great. I'm so glad to hear that. Jen, are those new frames? No. These are the same ones okay. I've been wearing for like 3 years. Cool. However, uh, this is a new sweater, <laughs> Kyle. I'm wearing a new sweater, which stuck to me when I was at Target, and okay. I'm wearing it in faith.
2: It stuck to you. Yes. What, what do you mean it stuck to you?
1: Well, yeah. I was buying groceries, and it just sort of leapt into my cart as I was on okay. my way up to pay for them.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it's well, it
1: not sweater weather outside, but if we do not if we do not dress toward the weather, you know what they say: dress for the job you want.
0: Mm. Yeah, I've never thought about that with weather. Yeah. JT
1: actually, when JT was my boss, he actually said that to me. He said he was telling our whole team that we should dress for the job that we want. And I had to tell him that if I were to do that, I would wear a bathrobe (laughs) to work every day because what I want is to be unemployed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, there was a lot of things JT said when he was our boss that turned out to be dumb. (laughs) (laughs) You guys forget that I still am your boss. <laughs> uh,
1: no, I know, uh,
2: I know not in any real uh, sense, not like any no, organizational we, or formal sense. We, but we uh, can keep
0: it informal, and sure. you know, just kind of keep the trend mm-hmm. going.
1: You were a good boss, JT. You
0: you were you were a good boss. You were a good boss, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, the jump scares were a little much, a little but much. Uh, <laughs> I don't think those those didn't seem to be as tied to your uh, your 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 status as our boss. They just I it, I just discovered they were just a uh, baked in part of your whole. Deal, no yeah. whole friendship. brand, just yeah, friendship. i friends. I just do it different. It's brand yeah. <laughs> uh, jump scare is a crucial part of the brand profile <laughs> yeah, of Jt English. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You know what's not scary? The Song of Moses. Uh-oh. Oh uh, wow! Come on, I mean, listen. You know, this is why this is why I'm, this is why I do what I do, you know, mm-hmm, for segues mm-hmm. like that. Well, yeah. uh, we have been going through the book of Exodus and like we've said, we're tracing themes, themes that both ripple beyond and before Exodus. So we're looking across the story. We're following it on this journey of the Exodus event in the book of Exodus. And as we come across the passage, we're exploring whether the form, the structure, the theme, maybe there's a type there. Maybe there's an event that's going to happen again later in the story of the scripture. Maybe there's a foreshadowing. So we're not going line by line through Exodus, like we have with other books of the Bible, we're just tracing themes. And today we turn our attention on the other side of the Red Sea to the Song of Moses. And Jen is going to read for us Exodus 15, the Song of Moses, verses 1 through 18. Take it away, Jen.
1: Okay. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon
0: Let's get it. Let's go. Where? where I was let's say, some,
1: try to beat that.
0: Yeah, let's get some songs <laughs> going like this. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, wow, this is this little thing right here. Uh, yeah. No. Okay. So there is a rejoinder. There's a response to Moses' song here, and I want us to go ahead and read it. Midian or Miriam sings back to them. Right. Sing to mm-hmm. the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider He has thrown into the sea. So mm-hmm. in this song, and in the song that calls back there is a celebration Mm -hmm. and there is a celebration of what what is being let's just start there what is being celebrated in this song what 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 is the 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 substance of it what is it saying maybe just to kind of catch us up real quick i mean so so
2: what has happened so far in the story is God has a people for himself. They find themselves enslaved under the rule of Pharaoh and darkness, and they are under harsh labor and under harsh conditions, and they are delivered. uh, God sends them a deliverer named Moses, and through these uh, uh, um, miracles, uh, they are going to inherit the promise, and they're gonna receive a deliverance that could come from God and God alone. So what I need I think what we all would want people to understand what has happened so far in these first 14 chapters which leads us to where we are now is this is the gospel in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And by that I'm not like saying like the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament I'm saying this is a shadow. Of, of what we're going to experience, of what we've now currently experienced in Christ. But before we get to Christ, if you were just exploring the Hebrew imagination and God's miraculous works on their behalf, they would say, This is the good news. Mm-hmm. The good news is that we were enslaved in Egypt and God delivered us and gave us the kingdom. He gave us the land that He promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there were points in this story where you would think to yourself, Is God going to keep His covenantal promise that He made to Abraham? Here we are, we've been here for generations. Uh, this Pharaoh doesn't even remember us. He doesn't remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And so are we just going to to kind of uh, you know melt away here in Egypt under these harsh work conditions? But God has delivered them and taken slaves and made them sons and daughters. And so it really isn't an exaggeration. Even as you continue to read the prophets, Isaiah, or you think about the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, All of the imagery is to suggest that what Jesus has come to do is really the fulfillment or in biblical theology terms, we call it the anti-type of what this is like these first 14 chapters. Are the gospel in the Old Testament. And so, what would you expect at the end of a narrative of the gospel? You would expect worship, Mm -hmm. praise, uh, that their attention and their affections would be directed to God and God alone. And they would, one of the things that I love about this song in particular is it praises God for his acts, but it also praises him for his character. You know, it says things Mm -hmm. like, You've thrown the horse into the sea, but it also says things like, There's nobody like you. And I think we can learn a lot about worship when we think about this, uh, about how. Israel is worshiping God because they've received the good news that they've been liberated and are
0: going to inherit the kingdom of God.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep.
0: Yes. They're inheriting the kingdom of God. And this celebration is the celebration of what we explored in Exodus 14, that God is this warrior king who has triumphed over the evil forces of Pharaoh, the evil forces of Egypt, the wickedness, the unrighteousness. Now, A lot of this song, though, is violent in its imagery, right? I mean, just some of the—gosh, he's thrown the horse and the rider into the sea. Pharaoh chariots and his host, he's cast into the sea. They sunk them in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down to the depths like a stone. They shattered the enemy. Uh, The blast of your nostrils, the waters, piled up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you're going to divide their spoil. Uh, the Lord is going to draw their sword, their hand, uh, your hand will destroy them. You sank them like lead in the mighty waters. Uh, people, dr- terror and dread is going to fall. This sounds like this is not often how we talk about the holy judge. It's not how we talk about God, right? I mean, am I wrong? I don't, I cannot think of the last time I heard a song in a worship service that said God's holy judgment should fill the the wicked with terror and dread. Why don't you write some? Well, so maybe maybe we ought to. Um, I can't carry a tune, but uh, I do think it's interesting because one of the things that we do find is we find throughout the literature of Scripture songs, prayers, mm-hmm. reflections mm-hmm. that are definitely using language in a positive sense to talk about the character and or the work of god that that feels uncomfortable to modern ears. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why that I know why it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel uncomfortable because we we we'd rather like to think that maybe there isn't a holy terrible judgment. Hmm. I think that is why it makes us uncomfortable. But it it uses it a lot. Some of the psalms language, you know, some of those psalms are not psalms that get re-recorded into mm-hmm. new versions. <laughs> Um, you know yeah there's some of those psalms that i have not heard shane and shane put out hey a, a revision on and that's not a hey i love i love all those keep them keep them coming say, boys whoa. keep them coming no no shots fired here big fan uh of those psalms but there's some of them that are missing Um uh, mm-hmm. and i don't blame them because the language is visceral it's violent, mm-hmm. um, and uh, sometimes we call uh, they're called as a genre of the psalms, specifically imprecatory psalms. Mm-hmm. We find this kind of imprecation even in the uh, Exodus 15, though, in the Song of Moses. I think you find it in the Magnificat as well, which is going to be the on, honestly the New Testament's Song of Moses is the Song of Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder, I wonder why we don't use this language more often. What do you think?
1: Well, I think there's a time there's a time and a place for it, right? I mean, it's not like you're going to show up at a birthday party and bust out into this. Um, no, but I yourself. do think anyone <laughs> Note to the file, don't invite <laughs> Kyle to my birthday. <laughs> I, I do think that we do, we are generally squeamish about uh the justice of God and certainly the well, not the justice of God, but the judgment of God. Um and, and the wrath of God. And, you know, you guys know, cause I keep dragging us there that I'm spending a lot of time in revelation and it's like, well, can't get around it here. You know, I mean, it's a book about uh, God's judgment rolling down um, and it's celebrated at regular intervals in that book. And in particular, you know, the, the song of Moses is going to get uh, that we just looked at is going to get a little uh, recycle right there. It's going to get remastered, so to speak um, in revelation. And so I do think that we, We have to add, I think there have probably, here's my guess, Uh, there are cycles of this in the church. I think there have been times in the church where the judgment of God was talked about too much. Um, And we're not in one of those cycles right now. Right now we're in a cycle where the judgment of God is probably talked about too little. And so it feels, especially in a therapeutic age, nobody wants to to think about um, things like this, but I do not think that every age has been that way. And so That's true. Uh, it's probably important for us to, as we as we, as we we think about how do we find the necessary corrective of this, that we not over-correct and swing that pendulum all the way back the other way. I was thinking even recently, just about uh, Hellfire and Brimstone type uh, messages and what do they really accomplish and how um, those messages that we find in the scriptures are actually written for the benefit of the believer, not directed at the unbeliever. And I think there's probably something to pay attention to there, Um, that there is something I need to remember. And I think what I probably need to remember based on the way it plays out in Revelation is that the... The grapes, the image, you know, that's in in Revelation is of wine that has been trodden out of the grapes of wrath and that that I helped to cultivate some of those grapes myself, Mm -hmm. you know, but another drank that that vintage for me. And so I do think that if we don't ever talk about the towering justice and judgment of God, then we uh, we become the owners of a small deliverance instead of a a great one. Hmm.
0: Yeah. That's well said. That's well said. There is a witness both to the people of Israel here um, and to the nations, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like he Mm -hmm. he says later in the song, the chiefs of Edom are dismayed. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Mm -hmm. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread have fallen upon them. The witness cuts both ways, but it has to cut both ways Mm -hmm. because we know that Israel is going to forget this Mm -hmm. as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean… This is what's going to happen with the wilderness wandering. They're going to forget that Yahweh is the great deliverer, the warrior king, who can triumph even over the mighty, terrible giants of the land, so to speak. They're going to forget this thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and the funny thing is, is that they forget even before their enemies do. Uh, Because, you know, when they make it all the way to Jericho, after the 40 years in the wilderness, the first thing Rahab says is, we heard about your God and we trembled, we melted away in fear. Like she still remembers that that's who God is. And they've forgotten somewhere along the way, and they're trying to get a do-over to get into the promised land. So I think it's significant um, that sometimes, um, sometimes the message is the least sticky with the children of God.
2: That's right. I've been spending some time in the book of Jonah for a potential sermon series for storyline next year and been thinking a lot about kind of the, uh, I don't know if satire is the right word, but I I think it's in a relatively appropriate word, of Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh mm-hmm. for a number of different reasons. But one of them is because uh, he he doesn't believe that they deserve repentance, that they do deserve judgment. And mm-hmm. so there's two sides to yeah, this coin good. of a recognition that God is a God of judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a God of mercy. And anytime those things get out of whack is when the gospel gets out of whack. Mm. It's when we... Would fail to understand the cross of Jesus Christ, especially in a therapeutic age. The cross of Jesus is not Jesus taking our emotions and feelings away from us. It's 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 Him taking away God's wrath and exhausting it Mm -hmm. and purifying us. You know, I I have more of a than a statement, a question here. You know, I, I was teaching in the Institute last night, and one of the questions that came up kind of related to this around evangelism and gospel presentations or preaching, like communication of God's Word, is living in a secular age uh, is different than living in an age of a God or the gods. Uh, When you can live in a world where God is contested and belief in a God is contestable, Mm -hmm. uh, judgment brings hollow. Like Mm -hmm. you you used to be able to say that God sized hole in your heart, you know, is Jesus. You know, you need to have Jesus, but now it's like people are content without him. Mm -hmm. And I think we've, we've had ages like this before, but how do you talk about judgment in an age where, like, you used to be able to preach fire and brimstone because people believed in God and judgment. They just had forgotten about it. Now, people, it kind of, their imagination and their, like, their imaginative universe doesn't even have a category for that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have a, a category of moral right and wrong of a God who would be just and bring judgment. Uh, and then, of course, add on the layer of the therapeutic on top of that. That's a, it's a challenging thing to say, yep, uh, God destroys his enemies. Because, they're like, well, first of all, God doesn't exist right we live in an age where Mm -hmm. so how
0: would you guys think about that Uh, well i i think that the the mouth betrays uh what people genuinely believe when it comes to justice vengeance and retributive justice there's has there ever been a time there's not been a time in my life where people are more ready to talk about what is just or what is not just than right now
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they'll fight for it now where they think those lines exist is an open question right and what they think is just or not but their mouth betrays that they do believe that there is right and wrong there is evil and good now if you ask them is there real evil they may say yes there is real evil and their real their definition of real evil might match a particular set of preferences that they believe are wicked mm-hmm. or ways of living or being in the world and i think that you have to appeal to them and go how and why are those the right categories to use why do you have such a strong sense that things should be made right? Okay, so so you uh, uh, so you think systemic injustice is it, is rampant in the world? Uh, why? Why mm-hmm. is that wrong? How is it wrong? Mm-hmm. What's wrong about it? Why do you feel so passionate about it? Why do you think it should be fixed? Why do you think it should be changed? What world do you live in? Right? Mm-hmm. Who's designed it? And I think at that point you do have to appeal to them like, hey, it's kind of a moral argument of just saying like. If there are rights and wrongs, there's somebody who has set the terms. Who is that? Mm-hmm. Right. And because. why do you think you're? And why do you think you're excluded from it? Mm-hmm. I think that's part of it.
1: Well, and I think, yeah, what God's judgment does is it. Uh, what God's visible palpable judgment does is it causes every knee to bow and every tongue to confess and so so there are those who will bow the knee and confess willingly and gladly and there are those who will do so only because they are compelled to uh, and I think that's what you see in the story of Exodus. I think it's what's being uh, referenced really when we get to Philippians, and it's also what we see when we get to Revelation. Is we see again, you know, the 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 plague language returns in Revelation, um, and we see that ultimately all of the blasphemers end up being uh, giving glory to God um, in spite of themselves, instead of because of that's themselves. Right.
0: We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit guidetogospelgenerosity.com. That's guidetogospelgenerosity.com. And Jen, I think your point about our historical situation and kind of where the pendulum has swung here is correct. I do fear um, a, a, a counter reswinging to another extreme. Mm-hmm. But even in, our, in my own ministry, I felt like, hey, we've got to be a little bit clearer about the fact that the Bible is emphatic that God is bringing divine judgment mm-hmm. to make the world right again. Mm-hmm. And that could make us uncomfortable, but it, it doesn't make it untrue. Mm-hmm. And it does seem that throughout the story of the Bible, the coming judgment of God is used as a motivator. For the purification of God's people, repentance, namely, and for the turning away from sin for the nations. Like the the story of Nineveh doesn't make any sense apart from Jonah showing up and being like, Hey, God is going to judge you. Like, Mm -hmm. set your watch Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. It is coming. You should turn away from wickedness. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the whole thing. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: I don't think it's gotta be the only model of our proclamation in our ministry. Certainly, that would be to go too extreme cuz the same Lord Jesus who te- says hey repent for the kingdom of God is at hand is the one who says come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and i right. will give you rest so there is an invitation and warning dynamic but when we come to a passage like exodus 15 you know or if the listeners are listening to this and they're going is is it okay for us to think of god as a holy warrior king who is going to righteously victoriously triumphantly defeat evil you go Yes, it's more than okay. It's a part of how we have to view uh, how God presents himself to the world,
1: you know, I think there's another element to this I was thinking about. It's that in our um, current moment, people don't perceive that even Christians don't perceive that evil is a real adversary. Yeah. and so um you know we we're sort of out of out of um out of touch with why why do we need the wrath of god are things really that bad and i think in any age you have you have the the persecuted church that needs to be encouraged and then you you have the complacent church that needs to be um kicked in the pants a little bit um yeah. and that that has that has gone for capitulation and and so i do think that these these songs of deliverance speak to both groups they tell those who That's are enduring right. persecution you can you, you're going to make it it's going to be okay in the end uh maybe not right now but it will be eventually and then they tell those who are complacent um don't toy with god
0: yeah uh I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm laughing. Well, you're right. You're a hundred percent. Right. Do you know what I was thinking when you no, were saying, that? Kyle,
1: what were you thinking?
0: Jen, did you, did you,
1: uh,
0: were you ever around Keith Green's music?
1: I mean, I didn't ever listen to it. I know who he is.
0: And uh, J and JT, I know you weren't, you weren't around it nope. for the, for the listeners who grew up, grew up in like late, late eighties, early nineties, evangelicalism. Maybe you had this experience. Uh, Keith Green's music, Keith would write songs like this. Like, and I remember as a kid being in the back of the car while like my mom is driving us away from school, hearing songs about the coming judgment of the Lord and being like, Oh, my gosh. I have to get my life in order now Um, because he would write songs like this. But you're right. You're right, Jen. I think that's such a good point you make, which is that these songs of deliverance, they don't just cut both ways. They they engage two different audiences Mm -hmm. in two different ways. Mm -hmm. Within the church. Hey. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And even in the in the ancient world, Israel is here standing on the other side of the Red Sea going, "Yahweh is gracious, he keeps mm-hmm. his promises, and he's powerful." And what and what are the Canaanites doing? They're going, "Oh my goodness, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we we need to get out of the way <laughs> of up. the power and might of this great God." It but it's the same words cutting mm-hmm. in two different directions. Um I I want to move us to thinking through how do songs of deliverance show up elsewhere in the story of the Bible? Because this isn't the only place. I mentioned one already, but what are some songs of deliverance we find? I, I do think that that's an important thing as we're exploring these themes. The structure is repeated elsewhere.
2: Okay, I'll I'll give it a shot, but you fill in where I where I miss. Okay. I mean, you have Hannah's song obviously mm-hmm. and in uh, Samuel, uh, you've got Mary's song, but the one that's coming to my mind, and of course, I'm skipping over a bunch, but the one that's coming to my mind right now is when Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. It says they sang a hymn mm-hmm. uh, before they went to the garden, and I wonder if this was it.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. So that's I have no idea, but
2: you're thinking about they just went to go celebrate the Passover. Doesn't tell us what hymn it was. Just says mm-hmm. they sang as they as they concluded their meal after he offered them the, the bread and the yeah. and the cup. And it says they sang a song. And I'm mm. just that's what I've been thinking about is that song is a song. It had to have been a song of deliverance, mm. whether it was this one or not. Mm. I, don't, I think we can let the biblical imagination run free a little bit. But they're singing a song of God's past for difference as He's teaching them about the coming deliverance that's going to be found in Him. Mm. That's good. I hadn't thought about that.
1: Well, the one I thought of actually made me realize that in our last episode on um, water deliverances that I forgot one uh, because the one I thought of is the Song of Deborah um, mm. because that also mm-hmm. is a is a water deliverance. It's very similar to the Red Sea deliverance because Sisera's troops are lured into the Jezreel Valley and then there's a flash flood. And so um, there's a miraculous victory of God that's affected by... Uh, chaotic waters um, doing away with the agents of chaos. And um, she, and Bar- there's the song of Deborah and Barak that we find there in Judges, I think it's chapter five, yeah. um, where they celebrate God in, in very similar uh, very similar terms. And actually in her song, there are elements of what Israel has left undone, uh, the unfaithfulness of Israel on top of the threat of, um, of the enemies of Israel coming together in combination.
0: Interesting. I thought I had forgot about Deborah's song entirely. <laughs> Classic. That, a good one. that was not it. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, yeah. and I walked right into that one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, that I mean, I, I meant, yes, that is a good one. I, I was thinking the whole time of Mary's song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The and, then, and then you got
1: David in Second Samuel 22, David's song of deliverance after he's delivered from the hand of Saul, which shows up in the Psalms, I think as well, doesn't it?
0: Yes. Yeah. And I mean, and yes, and you could really look at a huge portion of the Psalms as deliverance songs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like over and over again, David's saying, you have delivered me. Uh, so
1: I learned an interesting thing as I was working on this revelation study. And it's that that term about singing a new song, that the new song is almost always a reference to a song of victory like this. Hmm. Um, so it doesn't mm. just mean like, oh, here's a new song. It means like, oh, because if you think about it, a song of victory means you've been delivered, like you have new life.
2: even you have new content, yeah, yep. yeah.
1: And so a new understanding, right? And so in the mm-hmm. in revelation, you hear that that they sang a new song a couple of times because those are specifically mm-hmm. songs of deliverance on the lips of the saints
0: and and many of these songs of deliverance, certainly deborah's the 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 your song favorite of Mary, the one by Deborah, uh, my yeah. favorite, the one the one mm-hmm. I obviously remembered. um. Uh, the Magnificat are, are songs that also play up this battle between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Mm-hmm. This is kind of operating in the background, certainly mm-hmm. a, of the Exodus. We've talked about this right, already a lot. But there is the serpent king who's now been overthrown in the waters of judgment. And now Israel stands delivered on the other side. This is... Uh, a, a playing out of the enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. This mm-hmm. is something that is coursing through the veins of the story of the Bible. And even in Mary's song, again, we're getting this rejoicing and this singing and the celebration that one is going to come and he's going to make right what mm-hmm. Satan and sin has made wrong. And so mm-hmm. this is this is happening over and over again. Uh, this is in Colossians 1, which is not a song, although a hymn does precede the, the portion I'm going to read. You have the—he has disarmed the rulers and authorities, right, Mm -hmm. by the the work of the cross. Mm -hmm. Um, If we were looking for kind of the songs of deliverance as they kind of uh, develop over the the course of the story of the Bible, I do think that one of the important places where we see this fulfilled, so to speak, or this motif of the warrior king who delivers— is in the Christus Victor view of the atonement, which I do think is a, as, is a way that the New Testament is standing in fulfillment of what we're seeing here, even in the foreshadowing of a song like the Song of Moses, which is this triumph over evil and wickedness. And JT, could you just give the listener real quickly just a brief snapshot? When we say Christus Victor view of the atonement, what are we talking about? What, what, is, what, what are we saying Christ has accomplished?
2: Yeah, so in most of the circles that we are in, I would imagine the churches that you go to, our understanding of the gospel is largely... What we would call penal substitutionary atonement and the basic idea there is jesus was our substitute for our penalty that's where we get the word penal substitution and that's true there's a there's a sense uh, a very real sense in which jesus takes our place absorbs the wrath of god where we have this imputation of our sin upon him and his righteousness to us that's what we mean by, by penal substitution. But the atonement isn't just one thing, it's many things. It's almost like a diamond that if you held it up, you as you kind of twist it, uh, you're able to see m- its multiple facets, and that's true with the atonement also. And one of the other facets, in addition to penal substitution, is Christus victor, and it's exactly what you just read. It's that Jesus has become the victor over his enemies. He has destroyed them and defeated them once and for all. This is really birthed in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, that the seed of the woman is going to experience victory over the serpent, that he Mm -hmm. is going to crush him. And so part of our gospel message can't just be uh, Jesus died for my sins, so that's true. It's mm-hmm. also that Jesus has accomplished a victory over the spiritual forces of darkness. Uh, one of the areas, if you if you're still like, okay, I'm still not sure I grasp it yet. You know, C.S. Lewis uh, really kind of grasps, I think, a lot of the Christ's Victor motif in some of the Chronicles of Narnia, especially mm-hmm. if you watch the movie and you see Aslan die and uh, he then comes back to experience victory. And who who does he pay uh, the payment to? He doesn't pay it to himself or to god he pays it to satan so there could be lots of questions about who who is owed retribution and who actually experiences the reconciliation we don't need to get into that right now because there's i think a lot of of kind of thorny theological questions but at the bare minimum part of the gospel is that and a huge part of the gospel is that jesus defeats his enemies and he is
0: victorious over them finally and fully forever Mm -hmm. that's right That's right. I mean, and and that it's that view of the atonement that stands as a fulfillment of all of this warrior king motif that we find and this triumphant victory. When Colossians says he's disarmed the rulers and authorities, he's put them to open shame by the work of the cross. What's saying is that like there is a king who has come and he has triumphed over not one tyrannical ruler, but the tyrannical ruler of the great false empire and false kingdom, which is Satan and his forces. When we think about singing and celebrating the power and the might of God, we've talked about how these songs are a little bit different from the songs we typically sing and maybe why that is the way it is. But as we move forward, right after the Song of Moses, there is something that is really interesting here, because the Song of Moses, immediately following it, there is a great picture, not just of what water uh, does in judgment, but what God does to provide for his people. And mm-hmm. then, Jen, I know you wanted to say a little bit about this uh, with the bitter water made sweet uh, following the song of Moses, because right after this song is sung and there's this triumph and this praise for the God who has used water to judge uh, and to overthrow Pharaoh and his forces, we hear that Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea. They went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. He threw it, threw it into the water. The water became sweet." There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. There he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water, 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. So we move from a story water, of— water, water. So, we yeah i mean it's like is there <laughs> is there an emphasis here absolutely we move from a story in one chapter mm-hmm. about uh, god using the waters of judgment to bring his people through deliverance yeah. then there's a song celebrating exactly what he's just done mm-hmm. this great powerful overthrow then the people immediately begin to doubt god again in the wilderness just like mm-hmm. they did on the other it's so, like doubt has like Pharaoh didn't make it through the Red Sea, but Israel's doubt sure did, because on one side of the Red Mm -hmm. Sea, they're going, hey, I think God's going to brought us out here to die. They get delivered through the Red Sea. All of Pharaoh's forces are crushed. Moses leads a song. Miriam responds, and the people are like... Yeah, but we're going to
1: die thirsty. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so, you know, this actually this this idea of water now is is um, is a little bit different. Right. Because they're saying, are you going to provide for us? But not Mm -hmm. only that, the way that God makes the bitter water sweet is significant. Because it involves uh, a piece of wood, it says it's a log, but a piece of wood touching the water and turning it from undrinkable to drinkable. And so really what we're seeing is a reversal of what happened when Moses is sent before Pharaoh and he takes a piece of wood, his staff, and he touches the Nile and the water becomes undrinkable. And so really what we're seeing is Israel asking, are you going to put the plagues on us? Are you going to be a plague to us as well?
0: Hmm.
1: Um, And so God says, no, I'm actually... I'm actually here to make bitter water sweet for you. Um, I'm not going to give you dead water. I'm going to give you what? living water mm-hmm. and in the Old Testament mm-hmm. understanding dead water was any body of water that wasn't fed by a spring and living water was any body of water that was fed by a spring or a spring or a river and so when um, when God touches this ha- has this log be thrown in there it, it, it's in many ways symbolic of this living water concept and we know that that's true because it shows up in Revelation when you get to the bowl judgments and a giant star Falls from Heaven into the Rivers and Streams. And do you remember what its name is? Dig back into your 90s scary movies. Its name is Wormwood. Wormwood falls into the rivers and the waters. Well, So it's wood going into the waters and making them undrinkable. But this time it's not in a localized place. It is everywhere. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so it's God's judgment. It's a very similar sort of plague thing happening there um, in... um, in Revelation, and it's setting up for us the the final scene in all of the scriptures, which is living water flowing from the throne, flowing out mm-hmm. everywhere. So, you know, these mm-hmm. are these are images that we know are in there, but we don't yeah. understand how they all connect to one another.
0: Yeah. Yes. And I and I, I do think that the thing that's interesting to me about this story in Exodus 15 is that God protects his people through the water and provides. For his people with the water, Mm -hmm. and I think it's a demonstration of man the salvation that God is bringing to his people is not just a salvation of withdrawing them from active danger; it's providing for Mm -hmm. them the supreme good, Mm -hmm. even from the places of brokenness. Mm -hmm. Right, and when we think about Christian salvation, it is not. And maybe this is where we get some of that dynamic, Jen, that you were talking about earlier on not having the pendulum swing back and forth, if we only have a view of salvation and deliverance, that is, God has rescued us from the impending judgment. Like, if that, that mm-hmm. that's a pretty one-note song about mm-hmm. deliverance. Mm-hmm. But even in this story, it's a picture of, not, okay, yes, he has rescued us from uh, violence, judgment, wickedness, unrighteousness. The reign uh, of a false empire and a false king, uh, the tyranny of death. Not only has he rescued us from terrible things, he's providing for us something good, mm-hmm. something better. Mm-hmm. It's not just salvation from judgment, it's salvation to good delight, the blessing,
1: abundant
0: Mm -hmm. abundant life. So Mm -hmm. maybe that's a part of the dynamic here that is even in the witness of this story. And we do see that reverberate through the rest of the story as well, that God's rescue of his people is not just deliverance from the bad thing. It's deliverance into the better thing, Mm -hmm. the better way, the better portion, all of the good um, that is in the presence of God is better than what we can find outside of him. Um, I do think that it is just one last, just note. It is interesting that the song here is a song that magnifies God in a way where they're pe where the people still don't fully understand it, and I think that is how like Moses' song and Miriam's response here is an indication um it is an indication that adoration does take place even within the active context of human frailty and doubt mm-hmm. the people of israel are actively like they're still in the midst of this and i do think it's a testament to us that it is a part a normal part of the life of the people of god we enter in as a worshiping community to celebrate and adore god even though sometimes we're still not so sure what he's doing with us in the wilderness. We're still not so sure where it's all going. Mm -hmm. We're still not supremely confident. This is why I think that the admonitions and exhortations of the New Testament to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs are so critical for the lifeblood of the church, because they are a witness in a worshiping community, a mixed assembly. There are times when I'm sure there were people who sang the song louder than others on the other side of the Red Sea, and I am sure that there were some who just had to listen and remember, and I'm sure there were some who heard it and were the first ones complaining about the lack of water. Um, And God's people are in a group like that, where there's space for Miriam's confident response, and there's also space for um, an Israelite man or woman to go, yeah, but like, what are we going to drink today? Where's the water coming from tomorrow? Like, I know you just did this, but where's the next thing?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking about an actual experience of sitting in church next to someone who's had deep loss, and yeah. everyone there was singing um, a song of deliverance, and that person was not feeling it. And um, the importance, though, of being in the room and hearing other people take up the song that that's you right. might not be able to sing in that moment is mm-hmm. is is why we gather.
2: That's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: Well, we're going to keep journeying through the story of Exodus with one another. Um, And uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics which is the giving of the law. And for us, uh, just how we can start to try to make sense of the role of the law among God's people then and now. Um, we hope that you have enjoyed the discussion today. If you want to find Knowing Faith, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you're at. Uh, you may have heard us recommend something. Check the show notes for a link to our sponsor's webpage or the Train the Church website where you can find everything that we recommended or mentioned on the show today. If you're looking for books we've recommended, we want to encourage, uh, encourage you to go look at our partnership over at 10 those.com. If you go to 10 those.com slash partner slash knowing faith, you can find books we've recommended for this season and for past seasons. If you want to go to trainofthechurch.com slash support, you can find out how to get involved in some behind-the-scenes stuff that we think is pretty cool. Um, check out our sister shows. I want to point out specifically the Family Discipleship Podcast. Um, I love the Family Discipleship Podcast. I just was able to be MC uh, for a live recording of the Family Discipleship Podcast that they did, and it was a blast. That is a great team. Team over there doing really wonderful resources for youth leaders, kids ministry leaders, volunteers, parents, future parents, grandparents. If you're if you are working with kids in any space as it pertains to discipleship, I want to encourage you go check out the Family Discipleship Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. Did this episode spark an interest to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, or just theology in general? You can receive free theological training through Midwestern Seminaries for the Church Institute, where you can learn more about the Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, leadership, and more, even at your own pace. Learn more and get started today at ftcinstitute.com. Again, that's ftcinstitute.com for free training on Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, and leadership. Go and check out these incredible resources from our season sponsor.